morning. Here we go. Um, well, last week we just, the title of my page is The Elephant in the Room, which is exactly what this is about, The Elephant in the Room. Um, the grace, the manifestation of grace in our lives that comes out in a prayer language. Um, and um, what is it? And everything about it, we're going to look at it from inside out and outside in. And um, if you have questions that I miss, shout it out. Because we're going to get this all out on the table. Um, <clears throat> um, like I was saying last week, this prayer language thing, the idea of tongues, is the most misunderstood, the most detested and feared and shunned of all of the blessings and benefits of grace. Um, it has split denominations time and time again. John Wesley was an Anglican until he got filled with the Holy Spirit. <coughs> and the Anglican church split wide open and became Methodists and Anglicans because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then the United Methodist Church and the Church of God was a split because of the same thing. The Church of God went on with the full gospel message. The United Methodists didn't. And um, other churches have split the same way. And um, it's always over this, um, this idea of, of uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the teaching on it. And um, it has split the body into even, I mean, you know, even those who, um, who just believe, you know, who are believers are split in an almost angry way. There are charismatics and Pentecostals and fundamentalists and evangelicals. And um, that is not, that is not what God desired. He says there's one body, one Lord, one spirit, one father of us all, one body. And um, this, this particular part of the Christian faith um, is so explosive. Um, the question is why? And I can tell you this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the imparting of Christos, the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the body of believers. It is the one and only thing that brings us to the place where we actually take on the attributes of the one we follow. Jesus says that in Acts chapter 1. He says, <clears throat> we'll go to Acts chapter 1. We'll just start there. Acts chapter 1. Sandy, what was Christos? Christos, it means anointing. It's the Greek word for anointing. So when you talk about Jesus Christos, you're saying... Christ, the anointed one, and his anointing. Um, the Christos is the anointing. Okay. <clears throat> it's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, okay, I guess I need to get the axe. If you go in the axe, huh? All right. <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> Works a little better, doesn't it? Okay, here we go. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> start with verse 4 I got those in my purse I need to get mine out 
and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he says, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost in not many days hence. The word baptized means immersed and soaked in. Um, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. That word power is um, the word for authority. The next word power is dunamis, which is the explosive um, active power of God. But you shall receive power, dunamis, the explosive power, after the Holy Ghost is come <laughs> upon you. And that word upon is a word that means superimposed on you. Okay? Um, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Now that's weird. He doesn't need to be witnessed unto. Jesus doesn't need to be witnessed unto. Okay? We're supposed to be witnessing about him unto other people, right? So this unto is a, it's a funky little word, but it doesn't literally mean to, you're witnessing to somebody. It means that you take on the attributes of the one you follow. So you truly become the eyewitness. We become the visible body of Christ in the earth. And we are the witness of what. Jesus looked like walking the earth when he was anointed. That's why we're called Christians. Christos, little anointed ones. It's because we would take on the attributes of the one we follow. And then we would go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. But not until you take on the attributes of the one you follow. So that you become the exact witness. In Colossians it says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. The exact visible image of the invisible God. We're supposed to be the visible image of the invisible Jesus. Because we are his physical body in the earth. So we should look like him and act like him. And in John 14 at the Last Supper he says, you know... If you, those that believe will do the things that I have done and even greater things than these because I go to the Father. And then he begins to say, and when I go, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to take on the attributes of the one we follow. Um, <clears throat> so Satan is absolutely not for that. Look at 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. Uh, start with verse 5 well verse 4 because he talks about the demonstration of the spirit and of dunamis, explosive power. Um, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, mature. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. That, that's the enemies of God that are brought to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden mystery which God ordained before the world. In Colossians we find out that mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory, the confident expectation of the glory of God. Christos in us. The anointing in us. That's the mystery that's hidden. And uh, that's in Colossians 1. So he's speaking about this, this mystery that God hid from the foundations of the world, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. <clears throat> Satan and all his minions were trying to get rid of the Messiah, Mashiach, the anointed one, because he knew as long as that power was in the earth, he could never rule. Because that power would be in the way. So they tried and tried to kill him. They tried to kill him when he was two years old and missed. Satan tried and tried. Tried to get people to throw him off of the top of the temple. Tried to get people to stone him to death. And over and over again, Jesus would just like disappear and walk through the crowd. Because, because of this anointing that he had on him. And um, eventually Satan figured out how to do it. By going through the religious leaders. Um, and Judas, it says at the Last Supper, Satan entered into him. Judas became possessed by the devil. And Judas went and, and got the guards and came back and betrayed Jesus. Satan finally had him in his grasp and he was going, hot dog. He, he was rejoicing when Jesus was killed on the cross. It's over. But he did not know the mystery that was hidden from the foundations of the world. Jesus rose from the dead, having defeated Satan, utterly defeated him. And not only that, but after he rose from the dead and went into heaven, 40 days later, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit fell on a crowd of 120 people. So now instead of one Jesus walking around with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, there are 120 in the upper room, super anointed, baptized in the Holy Spirit, believers, okay, walking in the power of God. By the end of the day, there were 3,000 Christians walking around in the earth, little anointed ones. And it multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. It was like trying to stamp out a forest fire. He just stamped on one little flame and it scattered everywhere. And um, Satan hates this gospel. He hates this part of the gospel because it is a one thing that he cannot defend himself against. It's when we are full of the Holy Spirit that sickness and disease, that, that power over troubles and issues um, come under our feet. And Satan is rendered powerless. But it takes um, that baptism and becoming like Jesus. Um, so, so Satan does several things. He blinds us to the truth. He makes us very comfortable in what we know. you know, And blinds us to everything that we don't want to hear. A lot of times we just stick our fingers in our ears and go la 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 la. When you hear somebody talking about the Holy Spirit. Unless he's just, you know, unless it's a cleaned up version. 
Because we're, we're happy to have the Holy Spirit in church, but he just better sit on the back row and be quiet. You know, that's, that's about it. Um, but this business of getting messy with the Holy Spirit, nobody, nobody wants that. Um, so our hearts get hardened to that truth. Or the truth is perverted. That's what happened in Corinth. The people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, but then they got over in the flesh and acted like fools and um, destroyed the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And um, Satan's fine with that too. You know, he is perfectly fine with that. Then he puts the spirit of ignorance and lethargy and indifference on us so that we're perfectly comfortable where we are. We don't need to get outside of our, our own little parameters. Life is good where we are. You know, I don't need anything else. And then that leads really to self-righteousness. I decide what I want and what I don't want. I decide what's good and what's not good. And I decide which part of the gospel I will accept and which part I just won't. You know, I'll just lightly skim over the things I don't like. And um, that goes back to the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And there you are, right back where we started. Okay? So we have to get to the place where we understand it all. You know, the fruit of Satan's work is a religious spirit. And that's what Timothy, in 2 Timothy, he says, people are ever learning and never coming to the truth. That's that religious spirit. We're perfectly fine going to church and being religious. But we're not so perfectly fine when Jesus says, I don't want you to be religious. I want you to be responsive to my love. I want you to be an on-fire believer who's out there carrying you know, my anointing into the world. Um, it's a little different. It takes you out of your comfort zone. But this is my opinion. It's my belief that those who teach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit should have experienced it in its fullness. Um, those who know experientially what it is can talk about it. They can speak about that truth and what actually is happening. Um, <clears throat> but the trouble is we're being taught by people who, who well-meaning people, who have no idea about this truth other than what they read in the book. They have no experiential understanding. So instead of being a, a, a part of the grace that comes to us from God because he knows we need it, it becomes a litany of human understanding, rationalizations, making excuses, fleshly driven ideas about the Holy Spirit's work in the body. And what we do is we end up defining God by our own experiences. And we do that all the time. We define God by our own personal experiences. Well, I know somebody that had cancer and they didn't get healed, so healing's not for everybody. Um, you don't know that. And there's nowhere in Scripture that says healing's not for everybody. It's just we, we're walking in an ignorance of what that healing is and how to lay hold of it. But it's easier for us to make excuses like that for ourselves, rationalize about things, than it is to face up to the fact that God is God and to let Him be God. You know, people don't want to pray for somebody that's got cancer because what if they don't get healed? Oh my gosh, then I look like a fool. Sound, sound like um, Jonah, you know. Um, that's not the point. The point is we have the anointing. We carry the anointing as close as we can get it to somebody. Whether they accept or reject or whatever, we have no control over what goes on between that person and the Lord. But we do have control over whether we get that anointing to that person or not. And that's our job. You know, it's God's job to heal somebody. I don't heal anybody, neither do you. 
Okay. Um, <clears throat> those who don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit teach us that that died with the apostles, that we don't need it anymore. Those who believe but don't have it say things like, well, if God wanted me to have it, he'd give it to me. And both of them are lies. They're absolute lies. The truth is, he's given us everything. He has given us all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Everything we need has been given. And one of those spiritual blessings is salvation. And God gave it. Do you want to say, well, if he means for me to be saved, he'll give it to me? If you're waiting for that, see in hell. If you don't lay hold of salvation by faith, it ain't coming. It's on the table, but it ain't coming your way. You have to lay hold of things by faith and take them. You cannot take hold of something that you don't have a revelation about. Whatever God gives you revelation about, you're able to believe for and take hold of. The trouble is we don't have revelation in a lot of areas. And... Um, so that's what we're around the table for. Me too. I scooch up to that table every day at home waiting for the Lord to show me something because we don't have all the revelation that there is. We don't. But God does. <clears throat> if you go on reading in uh, Corinthians, you know, it says we, we have the mind of Christ. You know, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, and Christ are three different things. Christos is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, the mind of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have the mind of Christ. Jesus Christ is the man Jesus anointed with the Holy Spirit. Christ Jesus is the anointed one, Jesus Christ. And each one has its own meaning and its own purpose. But that anointing, the Christos, is what's important there. Okay? And it is part of charis, which is grace. It is, it is grace poured out. Alright? And that's why we're talking about this is because this is a manifestation of the grace of God. If grace is good, then this manifestation is good. You know? And we, we have been so um, uh, twisted up on it. The truth is where we need to go. We need to get absolute truth. Alright? Um, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free from what? Free from fear. And that's exactly what it is that keeps people away from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A fear of loss of control, a fear of loss of your own personal power, a fear of loss of, of um, your comfort zone, a fear of a loss of a lot of things. Um, and um, so we don't go there. And it's fear. Okay, um, so you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth is not a concept. The truth is not words. The truth is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way and the truth and the light. The truth is Jesus. Okay, he is a person. And when you come to know him intimately and experientially, then you come to know the love of God. And love, mature love, casts out fear. Okay? Perfect love casts out all fear. When you and I become so... And, and this is the thing. It's not 
how much we love other people or how much we love God. That is not the deal. And John says it in, in John 4, 1 John 4. He says, you know, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. Then he says, it's not that we love Him, but that He loves us. You have to get to the place where you have total and complete trust in the love of God so that nothing He offers you could make you afraid or ashamed or anything else. Nothing He offers you can make you back up from it. But you have to come to that place where you totally, completely trust in His love. And we don't. I'm just telling you we don't. I don't. I mean, there are just so many times when I pick it up myself. I go, Lord, sit right over there. I got this, you know. And um, I'm sure he goes, no, you don't got it. Because I've had that same conversation with Dusty a few times. Mom, I got this. I got this. No, you don't got it. You don't got it. No. But he'll sit back and let you think you got it until you don't got it. So figure out you don't got it. That's exactly right. Somehow you're more willing to listen when you get there, right? (laughs) I know that firsthand too, experientially, let me tell you. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read this one out of the Amplified. We have to start with the love of God. We have to. Because... it's the love of God our trust in the love of God that allows us to let him use us in his way otherwise we're still holding on to our own vessel when we don't have complete trust Um, and that's not an insult to God that's not you know that doesn't insult him or make him mad Um, we'll talk about it in a minute because we've all been there with our own kids and ourselves but um, he's not upset about that at all that's that's not the deal but the deal is is he wants you just to come on you know and um, he'll wait on you all day but he wants you to come on alright if you look at Ephesians 3 Paul's trying to get the Ephesians now you have to remember the Ephesians well you you may not remember because probably haven't said it but it was 20 years after Pentecost when the Ephesians finally got baptized in the Holy Spirit. So it isn't like, you know, everybody got it in one week and then it just died out. Um, 20 years later, the Ephesians finally got it. So Paul is speaking, <clears throat> speaking to a church body here that is full of the Holy Spirit, okay? But he's just trying to teach them about the Holy Spirit and how to get that anointing to work in their lives because they're just like everybody else unless you know, you don't know. And whatever you get a revelation of, that works. And Paul says if you want the power, the dunamis power, the explosive power of that baptism of the Holy Spirit to work in your life, this is how you do it. And so start with verse um, 14. Chapter 3. For this reason, seeing the greatness of this plan by which you are built together in Christ, I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that, that Father from whom all fatherhood takes its title and derives its name, may He grant you out of the rich treasury of His glory to be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power, dunamis, in the inner man by the Holy Spirit, Himself indwelling your innermost being and personality. May Christ, now you see he's going to the anointing. May the anointing that's on Jesus, Jesus' anointing power, the Christos, through your faith actually dwell and settle down and abide and make its home permanent in you. Superimpose, be superimposed on you. In your hearts, may you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. Of all the things to be rooted in, it is being rooted and, and anchored in the love of God. So that you are drawing that love up into yourself and you are so deeply rooted in that love that there is nothing that will scare you or blow you over when the storm comes. You are so strongly anchored in your trust in the love of God. It's everything. That you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love. What is the depth and the length and the height and the breadth of it? That you may really come to know practically, through your experience and for yourselves, the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. And see, that's the thing. <clears throat> that's why I said, people who do not have the full blessing of the power of the Holy Spirit should not be teaching about it. Unless you've had an experiential understanding of it, all you're doing is teaching secondhand information. And so people who have experienced it should be the ones telling other people about it. Okay? That you may be filled through your all your being unto the fullness of God and may have the richest measure of the divine presence. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And become a body wholly filled and flooded with God Himself. A flooded body gushes out water everywhere, right? And that's what we're supposed to be, that, that vessel where the water is just gushing out of us. Not just bubbling up inside unto eternal life, but rivers flowing out of our bellies. Right. Now to him who, and by, and in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly, far over and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. And another word that goes in there is imagination. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, the anointed man, Jesus, throughout all generations forever and ever. Do you realize we are the body of Jesus in the earth? We are his flesh in the earth. When, when we are anointed with God, then Christ Jesus is walking in this earth through us. You know, we become the like the car that he's driving. You know, we become the temple where he hangs out. And when we go places, Christ Jesus goes with us. That power that's able to do infinitely beyond anything we can think of. It's pretty easy to pray for things that we know are doable. But when was the last time you went out and spoke to a tornado and said, just stop in your tracks in Jesus' name? 
You know, you you want to see the impossible, you got to believe the impossible. Um, that's when God starts having fun. Is when He starts being able to do the impossible through us. Okay, so when we become so intimately involved with and experience in the love of God, then that faith <clears throat> in that love is perfected and fear has to go. Fear is driven out. When your total faith is in God's love for you and you know it down in your bones, you're not afraid of anything. That's when the boldness comes, right? Look at Galatians 5. Flip to Galatians 5. It's just back about four pages. Faith is at its highest when you are totally, maturely trusting in the love of God. His love for you. That's when your faith is totally mature. We're all going there. But um, your faith is totally mature when you can totally trust in that love of God. Okay. Um, look at verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 5. We're just going to read a couple verses here. <clears throat> well, I actually go up to verse 4 because this talks about the law, trying to be justified under the law. And that severs you from Christ, from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Every time you and I get back under that knowledge of good and evil, we get separated from the anointing power of Jesus. Alright, verse 4. If you seek to be justified and declared righteous and to be given a right standing with God through the law, you are brought to nothing. And so separated and severed from Christ. Christos, the anointing. You have fallen away from grace. From God's gracious favor and unmerited blessings. Doesn't mean that his gracious favor and unmerited blessings aren't flowing to you. But when you are trying to do things in your own self, the blessings can't get to you. You have shut them off because you're doing it yourself. For if we are in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith. Activated, energized, expressed and working through love. The love of God, our complete total knowledge and understanding and trust in the love of God is what enables our faith to act at its highest. You know, when we trust that God loves enough to heal, then we're bold enough to pray for somebody to be healed. You know, we're bold enough to speak to that storm when we have faith enough to believe that God doesn't want storms destroying us. Um, it's It's all determined by how strong your faith is in that love of God. In, in uh, Ezekiel 47, there's a picture. That whole chapter is an interesting chapter, but there's a picture of, um, of the spiritual tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, right? And um, Ezekiel's been measuring, you know, he's been going with this angel who's been measuring everything off and showing him the heavenly temple. And um, from the east gate of the Holy of Holies, here flows this river. This gushing river is flowing out from the Holy of Holies. Now you have to realize we are the temple of the living God now. You and I are that temple, alright? So that river is flowing out, gushing out from under 
<clears throat> the door, the gate to the Holy of Holies. It is the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit pouring out into the world. And it said that river gets so deep as you measure your way out into it that you can't get across it. It's so deep. It's over your head. You know, you can't possibly cross You can't fathom how much grace there is flowing. You have no concept of how much grace there is there. It flows down into the desert, into the land, which the land is always a type of Israel. And then it flows into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is always a type of lost humanity. And when it flows down through the desert, everything lives. And when it flows into the Dead Sea, the, the sea comes alive and begins to teem with living things. And that's what we are. We are the, the conduit for that river to flow in the earth. Flow to people who don't know Him. We bring that river of life wherever we go. But the degree that you are filled with the Holy Spirit determines how deep the water is that you're pouring out. If you are born again, you have a spring of water bubbling up inside you, living water, unto eternal life. And that's good. You're going to heaven. You're in with us. We're all brothers and sisters. That's good. But Jesus said you need rivers of water flowing out of your belly. <clears throat> you know, rivers of water gushing out of your belly. Um, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, th just think of this picture. I mean, I, I, I remember being there when I was little. And... Um, thinking how scary it was. And I remember coaxing my own kids. They're standing on the side of the pool. And you're up to your chest in the water. You know, and your arms are out. And you're going, come on, I got you, I got you. Right? And no, they're not leaving. Their feet are stuck on the pavement. They're just glued. They can't jump. Because they're not sure we got you. You know, they're not sure. Um, I remember standing the longest time. God bless my dad. He was amazing. <laughs> He didn't just snatch me off that side, like, you know, or throw me in. Thank God he just waited on me. But I, but I remember the first time that I jumped. You know, what a scary thing. But I jumped. You think about God standing in that water up to his chest, knowing that if it's up to ch the chest of the creator of the universe, there's more water there than you could even imagine. More power there than you could ever imagine. Right? <clears throat> The power to swallow you whole. And God's saying, jump. Come on, jump. Because you can never learn to swim in that water until you jump in. Or learn to walk on it until you jump in. You can't learn that. I'll tell you about the far side cartoon I saw the other day. This is hilarious. Just throwing this out. It's for free. <laughs> There's a picture of Mary. And Jesus is a toddler. And she's by the bathtub with him. And he's standing on the water. And she says, you have to get in and get oh, your I bath. <laughs> I thought, yes, I loved it. Oh, I'm sure God was just laughing out loud about that. He knows kids. That was just so good. My kind of humor. So anyway, if we're going to walk on top of the water or swim, get out in that water where it's so deep we can't... It's, you know, you can't put your feet on the bottom. You can't control it. It's going to control you, take you where it wants to go. 
then you're going to have to jump in. You have to unglue your toes from the side of the pool and jump in um, and become a part of the river. You can't do it unless you're a part of the river. You know, the river becomes a part of you and you become a part of the river. Um, I mean, you know, he said it. He, he told Peter, he says, get out and walk. I'm here. Come on. And Peter did. Oh my gosh, he did. Had a little trouble with it, but he did it. You know, as long as he wasn't afraid, he kept walking. <clears throat> it was fear that stopped it. It was fear that stopped it. You have to jump. You have to fall into the arms of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. You just have to jump. And I'm thinking you can't hold your nose. No, you can't even hold your nose. you got to go. Good point. Good point. Let's just look at some scriptures here. Jesus over and over again says this. If, if it wasn't important, don't you think it would have just not been in here? But not only is it in here in red, it's in here over and over in red. Alright, go to Mark 16. We've been there, but let's go back to Mark. <clears throat> Mark 16. And this is in red in my Bible. So, you know what? You have to take it up with him. Alright, start with verse um, 14. And afterwards he appeared to the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Well, boy, Paul was a perfect example of that. Serpent bit him, and he just slung the thing off and kept going. When you're in, when you're in the will of God and you're moving, things will not hurt you when you believe it. And, and I'm going to show you how that works, but um, it is a manifestation of the grace of God. And it is listed in 1 Corinthians 12. It's there. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. There's no maybe about it. There's no condition there. Some of you will. He says, those that believe, those that believe will. That's your faith again. How, how, how big is your faith in the love of God? All right, go to Luke 24. Start with verse 44. And he said to them, These are the words which I speak to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ, the anointed one, to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, 
that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all the nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things and behold I send the promise of my father to you but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power dunamis from on high he said I want you to go out and do those things don't go anywhere until you are baptized in the Holy Spirit until Pentecost. Don't go anywhere until you do that. Because you do not have enough juice to do it on your own. Alright, uh, go to Acts chapter 1. We just talked about John 14. The things I do, you will do also and greater things than these. Um, so let's just go to uh, Acts chapter 1. Just the read. We just read it, but I just want to go back there. <clears throat> look at verse 4 and being assembled together with them he commanded them okay this wasn't a suggestion he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the father which he said you have heard of me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So he says, don't go anywhere until you get that. Don't. There's a reason for it. Jesus knew they needed it. Whether or not you think about it, um, you know, Jesus uh, didn't do one miracle. He didn't start his ministry until after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was never in need of being born again because he was never a dead spirit. He was always alive. He was sin free. So in need of being born again was not necessary. But if he, if he had enough of the power going in, then what was the purpose of being baptized with the Holy Spirit? But he was. We're going to read that in John in just a minute. But Smith Wigglesworth, he's a very interesting man. He lived back in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. He died shortly after I was born so he's been gone a long time long time <laughs> but he was just an, an old British fella who was uneducated completely uneducated and um, had a lot of issues in his life and his wife dragged him off to a church meeting and he got baptized in the Holy Spirit and then he became one of the most amazing uh, evangelist ever. I mean, people were raised from the dead under his ministry. You know, limbs grew back where there weren't any. People were healed. Things, you know, demons were cast out. He he was just plain. He just took everything at face value and went with it. Which is what we need to do, really. But that's what he did. We're too sophisticated for our own good. So, Smith Wigglesworth says this. There are three things in our lives. If we wish to go all the way with God in the fullness of Pentecost. Number one, we must be grounded and settled in love. Just what I said. We have to have a real knowledge of what God's love is. You can't just have head knowledge. Real knowledge comes from experience. It has to be personal. And so, let me just... So that's not walking in love. That is... Mm -mm. Settled on how much God loves us. Right. Yeah. That's because where we have to start. one leads to the next. Right. right. Well, you can't even begin to produce fruit until you get this. Right. You know, once you get this and you're rooted in him and grounded, that's when you begin to draw that love up into yourself and produce the fruit of love in your own life. But until you are 
put your roots in God's love until you trust Him enough to do that, the, your love walk is going to be weak. And that's what Jesus was saying. It's going to be weak. <clears throat> the second thing is you have to have a clear understanding of the Word because love must manifest the Word. It will not manifest anything but the Word. So you need a clear understanding of the Word. What does it say? And then third, and this one I so appreciate it because this is me. You must clearly understand your own ground, your own earth, your body, yourself. You have to understand your own ground. Because it's our own ground that needs to be looked after the most. <laughs> and I go, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> that is an unending job right there. Just understanding your own ground. <clears throat> okay. So when you leap by complete faith into the love of God, into that full baptism of the Holy Spirit, grace will manifest in us instrumentally through us. Um, look at Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Go to Hebrews chapter 12. now about where the, the children of Israel went into the ditch. They saw all the miracles that delivered them out of Egypt. And they knew it was the hand of God. They didn't doubt that. But when God showed up and started to speak to them, they were in so much fear they couldn't stand it. They were so scared of that love of God as if it was going to destroy them. And God told him, he said, don't come on the mountain because, you know, I am fire here, you know. Don't, don't come up on the mountain. But, but I want to talk to you. But they were so afraid of him that he couldn't speak to them. They couldn't hear him. They, had to, they said, Moses, you go talk to him and then come tell us what he said. Because we're scared. They were afraid because they did not have a personal experience with the love of God, okay? Um <clears throat> And so Paul was explaining that that's where we have to be. We have to understand, you know, Jesus and the new covenant. We have to have a general understanding of it. Um, look at verse 24. Start with verse 24. And he's saying, you know, God is speaking even now to the church. We should not be afraid to hear everything he has to say. We are, but we shouldn't be. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, we should be listening to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaks. See that you refuse not when God says, come on, jump in, I got you. See that you refuse not. For if they escape, not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. 
whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heavens. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, those things which cannot, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Everything in our life that can be shaken ought to be shaken out. So that when we stand, there is nothing left that can be shaken. In other words, we are so solid in the love of God, nothing can shake us. Nothing can move us. Okay. Then, wherefore, we receiving the kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. That's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And we are baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we need that grace if we're going to serve God the way He wants us to. You can't do it outside of that. Now does that mean that you're going to serve Him perfectly? No. We, we're all learning. We're all growing. But it does mean that you have the power to do it. Right. Okay, Smith Wigglesworth again. Divine life is full of divine appointment and equipping. And you cannot be filled with the power of God without a manifestation. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with manifestation. Charismata. The glory of the Lord being in the midst of us, manifesting His divine power. You know, what is it? Love expressed is grace defined. It's impossible for us to subdue kingdoms. Impossible for the greater works to be done. Impossible for the Son of God to be making sons on earth except we stand exactly in His place. If we're going to do what He did, we have to stand exactly in His place. And He is Jesus Christos. He is a baptized one, right? So as He is, so we must be. Okay. But here's the key. When you fall madly, passionately, totally in love with the love of God, when it becomes everything to you, you will be exactly like God in that His whole motivation is to fellowship with us, to be in our presence, and to possess us for Himself. We will have nothing less than the desire to be in the presence of God, to fellowship with Him, and possess all that He is for ourselves. There is nothing that he has that we won't desire to possess for ourselves. That's when you know that you have gotten to that point. Desiring the Spirit first, you know, and then other things come. So we make a lot of mistakes. You know, we've talked about these errors, these arguments that come up. One argument is that when we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit, and that's it. It's a one time deal, it's done. Um, you get all the spirit that there is to have and there isn't any more. Another one is that the events of Pentecost were a one-time event for the apostles and then when they died, the empowerment went away. And another one is the benefit of speaking in tongues is only for those gifted with tongues and interpretation of tongues. So those who accept that yes, tongues are there, it's only for people who have that gift in their lives. Okay, And they're all wrong. Everyone who believes. Do you remember? We just read it in Mark. She'll speak with new tongues. Everyone that believes. So it is a different, it is a different uh, manifestation of grace 
than um, prophecy, which is tongues with interpretation of tongues. Having a prayer language is an entirely different manifestation. They're not the same thing. They are not the same thing. If you don't get anything else today, get that. Okay. Say that one again. Okay. When we talk about 1 Corinthians 12, there is tongues with interpretation of tongues. That is a manifestation of the Spirit of God in ministry. That's the rivers of water flowing out. Okay. But there is a prayer language that comes to a person who is baptized in the Holy Spirit that is separate from prophesying in tongues, okay? And that prayer language is what Jesus said, them that believe shall speak with new tongues. That is the prayer language. And it's for everybody, okay? It's for everybody. We should all expect to do that. All of us. There's no excuse for not other than you're not comfortable with it or somebody hasn't told you about it or you haven't had the opportunity. Um, that belongs to every one of us and we have to take it by faith. Okay, It's a heavenly prayer language that's directed and led by the Holy Spirit. And it comes through not our intelligent thinking mind but through our imagination which is where God speaks to us. That's where it comes from. Okay. My, my watch says 3 o'clock. Okay, we're doing great. <laughs> We've been here all day. We're a little over time, right? We're going, what's wrong with my watch? Wise. <laughs> I didn't even notice this morning that it wasn't working. I just threw a watch on, and that's not helping and me. And it matched. It matched your outfit, outfit, and that's all that counts. There it is. It matches the outfit. <laughs> so right. That's exactly what it I was going does not have to be functional. No, that is it. Look Fashion good. Before that's function. it. It's not a consideration. Oh, <laughs> it's true. Well, Fashion it is before it. function. True. Don't take it off, sister. It looks good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's like my tennis coach years ago you know he says Yuck Son was his name he says do you want to win or do you want to look good and I said I want to look good <laughs> so yeah that's what I did I didn't win much but I looked good out there mm. so I'm looking good at 3 o'clock so. there's a clock on the wall oh my gosh Okay, you know what? We're going to stop right here because I'm going to go back to those three errors and we're going to tear those apart. We still haven't gotten to what it is yet, but I swear we're going to get there. I'm going to take you through everything. Don't worry, but it may take us a while because um, we're going to do this right this time. We're doing it right. And um, what is the date? I've lost it. 17th? 18th. 18. It's on the wrong date. Oh my. Yeah, well, I am. I am. I look at that. Sandy, you're retired. It doesn't matter. I appreciate that because I'm really getting into that. Where am I now? I get here. Yeah. Oh my. So true. Oh my. Well, let me just play with you here and then we'll be gone. Get back to this exciting stuff next week. Oh my goodness, Father, we just thank you and praise you so much for everything you've given us. And Lord, I do ask that you work on us this week, that you pull down every high thing and every imagination in us that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, that you cast down every proud argument in us, every rationalization, anything and everything in us, Lord, stronghold that would keep us from coming to the revelation of your truth all the way from beginning to end, the overflowing 
super abundance of your truth, Lord. Um, and I just ask that you bring every thought of ours into captivity to the obedience of Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name, and I thank you for the answers. Amen. Amen.